0: Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful Sunday that we can gather together in your name. And Lord, we ask that you would bless us as we examine your word. Lord, as we hear the special music, as, Lord, as we sing hymns in praise and glory to thee, we pray that each part of this service would be done to your honor and glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Dismissed to the Children's Church. Please remember to pray for them. Thank you very much. They're going through uh, a special program in the children's church dealing with the armor of God and how to serve the Lord. And so pray for them that they'll actually learn those things. And uh, turn with me, if you would, to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11. the last two verses of, of that, their last uh Next, uh, 28 and 29, sorry, we'll read verse 30 as well, the last three verses of that chapter. And today I'd like to preach on the title of True Rest. Uh, We just went on vacation last week and one of the things we tried to do was rest. And uh, my wife is often worried because she finds me working harder at things on vacation than I do sometimes here uh and, and uh, less seems to be accomplished i mean i uh, i I love to fish I just don't catch very many fish uh and I work hard at it I really do uh but uh uh you have to have some cooperation there and 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 it just doesn't seem to happen very often, but I enjoy it anyway but here Uh, We come to verses 28, 29, and 30 of chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. And we're just going to kind of start here today. This is Jesus' call. He says, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart, and ye shall find rest. Unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. If we could start this morning with this, the seed of all false religions starts from the idea or from the prospect of what you can do for God. How many of you remember when you used to go to a church where it was a list of things you were supposed to do? And if you would keep doing those things, maybe someday you would have a hope of eternal life. How many would say, Pastor, I went to a church like that and, and I tried and I, no matter how hard I tried, it was never felt like it was good enough. In fact, that's what Jesus told the rich young ruler, wasn't he? He said, There's only one good. There's none good save one. That is God. And and so Jesus is speaking here and he says, come unto me. You see, the truth of real relationship with God is not what you can do for him. It's what he has already done for you. It's not how you can be good enough. That's why on the cross, Jesus said it is finished. And if it weren't so tragic, if it weren't determining people's eternity, it would almost be humorous that most religion is trying to finish what Jesus said He already finished on the cross. But it becomes a tragedy when we work so hard to earn something and Jesus isn't going to give it to you based on your works. You can only receive God's salvation. You can only receive His rest when you fully trust in Him. That's what Jesus said in these verses. He said that you, you need to come to Jesus. You need to take his yoke upon you. And we often talk about needing rest after a time of great exertion or physical effort. But how many of you know what it is to find rest in your work? How many of you have ever had a big project you were working on? And you strained, and you uh, 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 pushed, and and worked, and exhausted yourself, and then you came up to that last little bit there, and it just like, you know, in when you run a race, they tell you you're supposed to sprint across the finish line, right? And, and uh, uh, but you've been pushing, and you and just like that song they sang. Uh, you know when you seem can't go you can't go on when you've reached the end of your limit, you have to understand something. you're not the one carrying the yoke Jesus is amen i if you're walking in pace with him, and if you are Following Him, you will find that His yoke is easy. His burden is light. He is the one that carries the weight. That's what Peter was talking about. When casting all your care upon Him, for He careth for you. Uh, And and we've gone over this in the last uh, couple of months about the yoke. I mean, a yoke is, is a permanent bond, if you've ever been... In an old uh, uh, farmhouse or things, you will see a yoke there, and many museums will put those on display. Uh, It was a permanent uh, attachment that would put two animals together. In fact, uh, if the animals were not trained, two oxen or two mules... Uh, uh, or horses were not trained to work together in that yoke. They would literally pull against each other until one was dead. And woe be to the farmer that would try to unyoke uh, something that was une- a pair of animals unequally yoked together. He would more than likely die in the process. It was, it was a terrible thing. And Jesus tells us to take that yoke upon us, His yoke, and walk with Him. And, of course, oftentimes our human nature, we try to pull against Christ, do we not? Uh, Let me tell you, it doesn't work. He's a lot stronger than we are. And, And if we will just walk in the furrows with our Savior, we'll find that true rest that we need we'll find that true strength in fact uh, this is what it's talking about when it says he that endureth to the end you don't endure to the end because of yourself you don't endure to the end because you have faith and others don't you endure to the end because you're yoked up with Christ you're attached if necessary he'll drag you across the line uh, because he's going to get there But if we walk with him, we'll find out that we will not have those issues. Turn with me to the book of Ruth, if you would. And and I, there are many ways of illustrating truths in the Bible, but I I have to say my favorite illustrations are, are those that are in the Bible. One of the reasons we have the Sunday school class as the way we do, or we call it through the Bible, actually, it is so that you can be familiar with the Bible stories. Because in the stories of the Bible, you will find every truth that God wants you and I to understand lived in the lives of individuals. We can see them in living color in the book of Ruth. Let's go down to verse 9 of chapter 1. We're not going to take time to go through the whole book here. But here is Naomi, and we know the story. If you don't, please take time to read the book of Ruth. Uh there is a famine in the land, and she and her husband, and there's kind of an inference, though nothing is rock solid here, that Naomi may actually have been the instigator in this whole thing uh, of trying to leave the land of Israel to find a better time. And Naomi's husband dies. Her sons grow up. They marry Moabitish women. And both of them die. And finally, Naomi is there with two uh, daughters-in-laws who are widows. And she hears that God has visited her land with deliverance. And she determines to go back to Israel. Go back to her home. Go back to the inheritance that would be hers by the right of her husband. And in verse 9... She says, the Lord grant you that ye may find rest, each of you, in the house of her husband. Now, uh, Naomi here is talking about rest. And I, I still don't really get what Naomi was going through Naomi's mind. But she was sending her daughters in law back into the land of Moab, back to the worship of the false gods, back to the place they came from, and said, uh, The Lord give you rest. And Orpah, the one that we do not know very well, she turned around and she went back to her people and her land and her culture. Ruth refused. She said, I'm going with you. And, of course, if you understand the Bible and the things that are in the Bible, you'll know that there was not a lot of love between the Moabites, the descendants of Lot, and the Israelites, the descendants of Jacob. There there was a great deal of animosity and and, and hatred that was there that just never... Even to this day, it is still there in that land. And and Ruth went home, and she found that her life was really the life of a beggar. She would go through the fields as the reapers went through, and she would gather what had fallen out. It was hard work. It was uh, all day labor for just uh, a little bit. But we come to chapter 3. And I want you to look with me in verse 1. It says, And in Naomi her mother-in-law said unto her, My daughter, shall I not seek rest for thee that it may be well with thee? Now what we have here is Naomi. She comes back to her people and, and they gather around this, her and Ruth enter the city of Bethlehem, a little town, a small village there. And they said, is this Naomi? Could this possibly be? And what? how many of you remember Naomi's response? She said, don't call me Naomi. Naomi means pleasant and sweet. She said, call me Mara or Mary. And that name means bitter. She said, the Lord's taken everything away. My life is bitter. Do, don't call me pleasant and sweet anymore. That's not been my lot in life, and and I'll I'll tell you uh, just aside from the sermon, and I I think this is a prayer that God would want us all to pray. Lord, save me from being a bitter old man or a bitter old woman. Amen. How many of you met someone in the latter days of their life that all they can do is try to get even with the people that I mean. You don't want to be there. That's where Naomi was. Her problem was she was mad at the Lord. You know what? That won't do you very much good, now will it? Uh, God's not impressed with your anger. Uh, You can't hurt Him. The only person you hurt when you get upset at God is yourself. But in chapter 3... Naomi has a change in heart. How many of you know what was the best thing that helped her? was the kindness and love of Boaz, a family member who took pity on Ruth and her labor and made sure that there was going to be food in Naomi's house. Ruth had to work for it. She had to work hard every day. But... She was diligent and Boaz made sure that her labor was going to be rewarded. And finally Naomi wakes up and she starts thinking about things. She starts realizing that there were laws that God had given his people and and, and there were traditions that had been built in the nation of Israel and in that society based on those laws. And she finally woke up and she said, Whoa, wait a minute. What I wished for you before in the land of Moab wasn't rest. She said, but there is a way through the law of God, through God's word, that I can find you rest. And she gives Ruth instruction. And many people have wondered and tried to add all kinds of stuff. This was not really what we would call a love story. Because... Boaz and Ruth did not spend any time together until after they were married. I mean, Boaz looked in the field and he said, "You take care of that young lady. You make sure because that is my uh, family there. That uh, Naomi is someone that I care about and I want to see good. And I want you to make sure that that Ruth gets enough grain to feed that." to feed her and Naomi all winter long until the next growing season. And so that was going on. And you read the story there. And Ruth was told by Naomi to sneak into the threshing floor in the middle of the night and lay down at Boaz's feet. And to take the blankets that was on his feet and uncover them. How many of you have ever had that happen in the middle of the night? You've... You... You go to bed and you accidentally kick the sheets loose at the end of the bed and your toes start sticking out and they get cold. I mean, there there are a few things that will wake you up like that. And I mean, all of a sudden, Boaz wakes up and he wiggles his feet and he touches something. He And, and of course, he's startled. He doesn't know who, what's going on. and. And Ruth just simply says, will you spread your skirt over thine handmaid? Now, what Ruth was doing, under the instruction of Naomi, was making a very um, private, very secret offer. I mean, Ruth could have gone up and said, this is what the law of your land says. But... That would have put Boaz under an obligation, and that would have put Boaz in a very defensive situation. And Boaz could have simply said, you're not an Israelite. You don't have a right to the laws of Israel. But Naomi had it done in a very private way so that no one else knew. You know what that did? That allowed Boaz to have a say in what was going on and to be in charge. And, of course, if you know the history, Boaz had a mother. Her name was Rahab. Boaz would have had a problem finding a wife. In fact, as far as we know, that Boaz was more than likely unmarried at this point, even later in his life because of his family heritage. And I want you to read with me down here in verse 9, I mean verse 18 of this same chapter. Ruth goes home and tells Naomi what has happened. And Naomi answers in verse 18, she Then said she, Sit still, my daughter, until thou know how, this, how the matter will fall, for the man will not be in rest until he have finished the thing this day. She answers him and says, I know Boaz. He's not going to sit down. He's not going to stop until he fulfills this matter, until he finishes this and sees how it's going to go. And, of course, the story of Ruth ends so wonderfully as her and Boaz are married. And they have a son and they have a son and his son is David, the king of Israel. How God took a Moabitess and brought her into the line of the covenant. Oh, what a wonderful story the book of Ruth is. And what is the word that we're looking at here? The word's rest, is it not? Now, how did Ruth find rest? When Naomi started paying attention to God's words. And when they followed the traditions that were built in their society based on those words. Not all traditions are bad. Just the fake ones. Amen? Just the ones that are built on things that are other. Uh, I, I don't do mistletoe at Christmas time. That's really a bad tradition. Don't study it out. Just take preacher's word for it. You don't need to know. It's not good. None of it's good. If you need an excuse to kiss your wife, you've got other problems, my friend. And if you're looking for an excuse to kiss somebody else's wife, then you really got problems. Now, don't you? Uh, let, let's be careful. But these traditions, that's why Ruth went in and, and laid at Boaz's feet. That, that wasn't in the Bible. That was just giving us a glimpse into the way that the society worked. Nothing was done improper or immoral in any way. The, the example was here that Ruth found rest, not through plotting and planning, but through a simple obedience and adherence to the Word of God and the common rules that were part of their life and their society together. Does everybody see that? You know, we we try to circumvent God's rules, and that's why we never find rest. Turn with me to Mark chapter 6. And here's another example that we just need to look at this morning. And then we'll try to get into the message itself and get done before uh, uh, it gets too late. But Mark chapter 6, and and in verse 7, it says, And he called unto him the twelve and began to send them forth two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits and commanded them that they should take nothing for their journey, save a staff only, no script, no bread, no money in their purse, but be shod with sandals and not put on two coats. So Jesus sent the disciples out in groups of two. He said, I don't want you to make any preparations for this journey or this travel I want you to learn that God will provide for you and, and keep you. And so he sent them out. In verse 20, in verse 30, it says, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Now go back to verse 29. And when his disciples, this is talking about John the Baptist, heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. So we have some things happening here. John the Baptist is murdered by the wicked Herod. And, of course, John the Baptist was the one that baptized all the apostles that had followed Jesus. And John was well known and well loved by the disciples And and the details of his passing were, were not very pleasant. It was the plotting and planning of the wicked uh, second wife of Herod that, that uh, had John murdered. And in verse 31, Jesus says, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest awhile. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. So, things were very busy. And Jesus said, I want you to come apart. We're going to go to a desert place and rest. Now, how many of you have read the rest of the chapter and know what happened? 5,000 men showed up, plus women and children. And Jesus taught them all day long. And when it came eventide, the disciples were, don't we get a break yet? Do you you see what the disciples missed that Naomi got? Where does the rest come from? The words of God. What was Jesus teaching all day? What the disciples needed? What weren't they listening to, Jesus? Why? Because they were trying to have a vacation. And this wasn't a vacation. They were working. In fact, they had to serve the food. And then as soon as it got dark, Jesus takes them all down to the shore and puts them in a boat. And they start rowing across the sea because the wind isn't being very helpful. And all of a sudden, the wind starts blowing the wrong way. Now it's about 3 o'clock in the morning. How many of you know what it means to just put in a 30-hour day? I mean, all the way through into the next day. And and I'll I'll tell you, there's a special tired that hits you. Right about three or four o'clock in the morning, I spent a couple of years working the night shift. Uh, I would uh, get off school about one o'clock in the afternoon, go try to study and take a nap, and then get up and go to work at 1130 at night. And... Or 11 o'clock. And then I get off at 7 o'clock the next morning and have to go to school. And, and I'll tell you, there, there's just a special kind of tired that hits you about 3 in the morning. And you're just sitting there going, uh. And that's when Jesus came walking on the water. I'll tell you what, they weren't tired anymore. They were scared out of their mind. I mean, it's it's hard for you and I to relate because we have TV shows and we have computer-generated images and they can make just about any kind of unreality appear before you on the screen. But imagine a life where none of that was real. None of that was even possible. And all of a sudden you're there in a boat in the middle of the lake and here comes a person, an image of a man, a shadow, walking across the water. Tell you what, it'd terrify you. How many of you know what happened next? Peter says, if it be thou, Lord, bid me to come out on the water. And he did. And then he took his eyes off Jesus and sank and Jesus had to... Rescue Peter and bring him back to the boat. I want you to look down with me in verse 51 of this same chapter. And he went up unto them into the ship, and the wind ceased. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, and wondered, for they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Can I tell you, Jesus asked the disciples to come apart and find rest, but the disciples didn't find any rest until Jesus was in the boat in the middle of the night. That's when the disciples gave up and just trusted in Jesus. Do you see the picture there? Do you see the illustration of what rest really is? It's not you working it out. It's not you serving God. It's you trusting in Jesus Christ. You know one of the reasons we get worn out turn with me to Hebrews chapter 4 and if you want the definitive chapters in the Bible on rest it's Hebrews chapters 3 and 4 they they draw together everything that is in the Bible talking about the rest that God wants us to have and verse 19 of chapter 3 it says so we see they could not enter in because of unbelief that's Talking about the children of Israel and what they were trying to enter into is verse 18. And to whom swear he that they should not enter into his rest, but to them that believe not. So we see they could not enter in because of unbelief. The children of Israel wandered in the wilderness 40 years. Do the math. 600,000 men had to die, the number of the armies of Israel, before they could enter into the promised land because they refused to believe God could deliver them and give them entrance and victory over their enemies in the land of Canaan. Let's start in verse 1. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. For unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter into rest as he said, as I had sworn in my wrath that they shall enter into my rest, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, for he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise, and God did rest on the seventh day rest the seventh day from all his works, and in this place again if they shall enter into my rest. Seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they to whom it was first preached entered not in because of unbelief. Could I challenge you that everyone in this auditorium this morning has the Word of God? It's been shared with you. In fact, if you do not own your own copy of the Bible... Uh, we'll give you a copy before you leave. All you have to do is ask. We we want you to have the Word of God. But you can memorize the whole Bible if you would. But if you do not add faith to what you read in the Bible, it does you no good. There's no rest in that. You've got to believe the Word of God. That's how Ruth found rest, was trusting in the Word of God, because Ruth did not have access to the scrolls. Let me tell you that. She could not enter into the synagogue. She could not uh, uh, read the Bible as you and I do today. It It was beyond her means to be able to do that. But Naomi told her what the Bible said and what to do. And Ruth simply obey and Ruth found rest did she not you see the rest comes after the trust but if you're going to trust God's laws you have to obey them first that's what, that's what faith is It is believing God's word to the point of obedience. How many of you can remember when you trusted Jesus as your Savior? When you finally stopped trying to be good enough to earn God's salvation. When you finally believed what Jesus said on the cross that it is finished, that the works are done. You see, the Sabbath is a day of rest, and, and people get caught up. There's Seventh-day Adventists, and there's some Seventh-day Baptists, and there's different people who say, hey, we need to worship on the Sabbath day. You need to understand your Bible, my friend. The seventh day was never a day of worship. The seventh day was a day of rest. And how every believer keeps that commandment of the Sabbath day today is every day is a Sabbath to those that believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because I rest in Him for my eternal salvation. Not in me. But I rest in the Lord Jesus Christ. That salvation. Look at verse 10 if you would. For he that is entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. You know, there's a lot of people that are going to miss heaven we say by the skin of their teeth or by that much or uh, I heard one preacher many years ago say a lot of people's going to miss heaven by about 18 to 20 inches the distance from your brain to your heart because they understand everything in their head but they've never believed and trusted with their heart and that's just simply so true but could I challenge you that the only rest for the believer is not only salvation. That it is every struggle that we struggle against. It's every burden that we carry. The rest that Jesus wants to give us, he says, in the verses we read at the beginning, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. You know, one of the hardest things to do in this world, and people try and sell their souls for, is to be recognized. Everybody wants to be recognized for something. Just pick up the newspapers. It's all about people trying to be important. How many of you have ever played that game? Trying to be important, trying to recognize, trying to... Uh, uh, win the rat race. Well, there's only one way you win the rat race. You got to be the best rat. But if you're going to get saved, you can't be a rat. You have to be a sheep. Amen? Uh, they talk about swimming with the sharks. There's only two things you have to do to swim with the sharks. Number one, be a shark. And number two, don't bleed. Uh, if you, if you, uh, even if you are a shark and you bleed, uh, chances are you're not going to be around very long. They, they devour their own. You know what? Sheep don't devour anything except grass. And we need to understand something. The Bible says that we need to labor to enter into that rest. We need to work so that we can enter into that rest. So what is that labor? What is that work that we are supposed to do? Well, look at the next verse. This verse is often taken without its context, but here is its context. For the word of God is quick and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. We, we live in a world full of deception, do we not? I mean, a- everything is fake. Isn't that true? And you know what makes deception even worse than normal deception is there is deception that other people put my direction uh, there's always somebody trying to get you to buy some new product, some new thing. It's going to solve all your problems. Ladies, if you would only wear this perfume, every guy in town will follow you. That's not true. Uh, the guys, they do it a different way. If you drive this car, oh, everybody's going to be... No, uh, it doesn't work. Listen... The worst part about deception is when we try to deceive ourselves, is it not? When we try to believe our own lies. I don't think I've ever met an honest person that says, I want to go to hell. But how many people are going to go there? Jesus said, broad is the way. And wide is the gate, wide is the gate, and broad is the way which leadeth unto destruction, and what? Many be that go in thereat. You know, as a as a preacher of the gospel, my my first desire is that you would lay aside the deception and the self deception of this world and trust Jesus as your Savior, because that's the only way you're going to get to heaven. We say Amen to that. The second most tragic thing that I deal with as a pastor is people who have trusted Jesus Christ and then try to solve their own problems their own way. If you get that purpose-driven book, it will tell you that God put desires in your heart and... (coughs) If you will just surrender to those things, God will give you what's in your heart. If you read the Bible, it says your heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Right here we read the verse, the only answer for the human heart is the Word of God. Because it is quick, it's alive, it's powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. There is no line. The Word of God can't cut. People often talk about how close a line there is between error and truth. Read those verses we just read. The Word of God can cut that line. It can cut any line you want to make. But let me tell you something. You've got to know enough about the Bible to use it properly. The Bible is the answer. There is no real question. There is no honest question in your life. There is no burden that you carry that the Word of God doesn't have the answer. And you know one of the most wonderful things about using the Word of God is I don't have to figure it out. I can rest my thought processes in the Word of God and trust the Word of God. And what's the rest of that passage talk about? Let's finish this chapter here. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4, it says in verse 14, Seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now the question is very simple today, are you saved? Do you know Jesus as your Savior? Have you rested from your own works and your own plans and your own hopes and wishes and put everything that you are in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, in the fact that He died for you, He was buried, and that He rose again to pay the price for our sins? Could you say amen to that? Then the next question is, What's causing unrest in your soul this week? What what are you struggling with in life right now? You see, His yoke is easy, His burden is light, and yet most of us spend our life just keeping the water level right here. We get a snoot full of salt water, (laughs) blow it out, and, and and, and we're just struggling to stay alive. Is that the relationship that God wants us to have with Him? What did Nehemiah tell the children of Israel, even in their sin? He said, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You think joy and rest go together? Hello? Go like this, if you agree with me. Yeah, I mean, it does, doesn't it? I mean, when you wake up and you just feel rested and ready and, and you don't have a care in the world, that, that's, a, that's a wonderful thing, is it not? It doesn't happen very often. You know why? Because we're, we're trying to carry our end of the yoke see how do I solve those problems this book has the answer and there's not anyone including the devil himself whose deceit will not be laid bare and open by a proper application of the words of this book how many of you have ever been tricked by someone? I remember getting a phone call one time from the IRS, and they said if I didn't pay them so much money uh, that they were going to send the cops out and have me arrested. And, and, man, I'll tell you what, I was just sitting there going, where in the world did this come from? I said, well, where are the notices? And they said, well, uh, we sent them. You didn't get them. And I'm going, "Something, something's wrong here. And I finally got the guy to be quiet for 30 seconds and called my lawyer. And he laughed. Oh, that was the most wonderful laugh I've ever heard in my life. He said, it's a scam. He said, it's a lie. He said, that's not the way the IRS works. And I'm sitting there going, Shh. I got back on the phone, and, and the guy says, "Well, what what can you do right now?" I said, "I'm not doing nothing for you. Send the cops. Show up." Click. You know how easy we are. We we are deceived so easily. Here's our only protection. You see, I've got a written word that if I'll read it'll tell me what is a false hope and a false wish and a false desire in my own heart what is the difference between lust and love then I can come boldly to the living word and I can obtain mercy do you remember how to get mercy 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 comes to the defeated from the hands of the victor. Do you remember the day that you admitted defeat and you couldn't save yourself? That's when you got mercy to get saved. Amen. How about taking what's troubling your heart and your soul and bringing it before the throne of grace and admitting that you can't solve this problem? But Jesus can. He said you'll obtain mercy. And what are you going to do? Let's, let's read that last phrase here. You're going to obtain mercy and you're going to find grace. You obtain mercy by admitting your defeat and putting yourself wholly in the hands of Jesus Christ. That's when you find grace. God's unmerited favor, what we don't deserve. That's what a home in heaven is, amen? That's what hope of His soon return is. That's grace. There, There comes a time in all of our lives, or many times actually, when we just feel like, I'm at the end of my rope, I can't go another step. Oh, wait a minute. Instead of expending all your energy holding on, how about you admit your defeat to Christ and you'll find out Philippians chapter 3, He's already holding on to you. And you can obtain mercy. And you're going to find grace. How many of you have ever been reading your Bible and all of a sudden read a verse that answered a question that you were fighting with, that gave you direction. Put your hand up. Let other people see. I'm not the only one that's ever done that. Isn't that grace? Hello? Isn't finding grace a wonderful thing? You see, that's what real rest is. I'm resting in Jesus as my Savior. You know, I've I've had some people say, "Well, you 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 just been lucky," no. No, if if lucky were the thing, you ought, you ought to go with me on a fishing trip sometime. Lucky, I'm not. Uh, you, you want luck? Go with me when I go hunting. Nothing happens. It, there, there's just... If, luck, if I were lucky, things would be very different. But I'm not. I'm the unluckiest guy in the whole world. I really am. But I'll tell you what I have found. I've obtained some mercy of the Lord. And i found Grace. I found grace to solve those problems of life. I found grace to give strength to keep going. I found the rest that Jesus has. I'm very thankful for vacations. I enjoy them. Try to anyway. But I'll tell you, the real rest isn't in a vacation. The real rest comes when I stop and take stock of what's going on in my life and come to Jesus and admit my defeat and obtain mercy. Amen. The real rest comes when I find more grace to keep walking with Him each and every day. Yes, sometimes God takes a little longer to answer our prayers or meet our needs than we think He ought to. But that's okay because he's God and I'm not and you're not. You see, if I'm going to rest in him, I've got to let him do it his way. Because his way is always best. Remember, it's his yoke. It's his burden. And he'll hook me up. And instead of me working along with Christ and helping Him bear the load, He's actually bearing me most of the time. Great place to be, let me tell you. And all God's people said. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before You. And Lord, as we look at Your Word and we find the answers that are here and the rest that is promised, Lord, I I pray that there would not be one in this auditorium that has not found the rest in eternal salvation through the finished work of Jesus Christ. And if there be one here today that does not know Jesus as their Savior, that, Lord, they'd be willing to let us open up a Bible and answer those questions and show them what it means to simply trust Jesus. Lord, I pray for the believers that are here today, and even though they're saved, and heaven is for sure. They've limped into this place this morning carrying many heavy burdens, and Lord, being controlled by deceit and even self-deception. And there is no rest when we are trying to work out that which can only be solved by God. And Lord, I pray that each one of them would be willing to recognize that burden and the deception and self-deception that is running their life and they'd bring it down here and just leave it at an old-fashioned altar. And Lord, that they would come boldly to that throne of grace. That they would obtain mercy. And they'd find grace. Lord, of course, all of those things are in your word. Lord, that they would let the sword of the Spirit cut that line, however fine it may needs be. But Lord, that we would deal truly and honestly with ourselves and with you. We ask, Lord, that during this time of invitation, we would do business. With the God of heaven, in your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together. The hymn of invitation. 301 if you need the words. Only trust him. But if you need to pray, don't pick up the hymn book. Just slip out of that seat and come down to the altar. As we sing, would you join these that have already come? Come, every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord. And He will surely give you rest by trusting in His Word. Holy, trust Him on Trust Him, only trust Him now, He will save you.